Hey, if you're online, we're glad you're there. Uh, we have people that are online every week. In fact, it's, it's getting, getting to where it's about even. For a long time, you know, we were quite lopsided. More people online than here, and, but now we're kind of evening up. But during greeting, which is longer these days, all that's on purpose. We do it at both services just so that you get a chance to say hello to some people, maybe meet some new people. And we have new folks that have become a part of the church throughout the pandemic. And it's really an odd time to get connected to a body of believers or a new church family during a time like that. And so we hope you get to at least say hello to somebody, maybe meet somebody. But if you're at home, you could text somebody and say, good morning. You know, I don't know. Maybe they're watching. Maybe, I don't know. So if you were here before Easter, we were in this little series called Honest to God. And it's really walking through some of the Psalms. The Psalms have a very unique place in Scripture. Uh, they're kind of grouped in this category that we would call poetry and wisdom literature, but it really is the, the most powerful section of poetry in all of the Bible. I mean, so we say poetry, the Psalms are lyrics. Psalm is a word that means song, and these are lyrics that were written, about half of them by King David, and then another half by a group of people, a uh, different set of authors. But they are lyrics that were set to... Um, to music, and they were sung in a lot of ways, sometimes individually, sometimes corporately. It's no different from the way you use your lyrics, the way you use music yourself. Sometimes you're in a car and you're just singing and just, you know, kind of belting one out. Sometimes you're with a group of people and maybe you're doing that, but it's just not that different because poetry, music, the emotional draw of it has never changed. God created this incredible vehicle that He uses to draw us to him. I don't know about you, but I can be someplace and I can hear the strains of a song, maybe a chord progression, or I can hear a familiar lyric and I can be in an instant transported back to a place that I was maybe when I heard it or something powerful happened, something unique happened. And sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Maybe it's a hymn or a, a song that I've been a, you know, engaged in worship with, but it could be something altogether different. And it could just take me back to that place and I can remember who I was with and what happened. Music has this power and it's very unique. The Psalms, because they are also scripture, they have a very unique role in how we see God because they meet us in our emotions, but there are words and there's information there that teaches us certain things. And so they bridge this gap between what we would say or the head and the heart. This is how I feel, but this is what I know. You've all said at one time or another in your life, I mean, this is what I know that I should do, but my heart wants. And so you describe some path you probably shouldn't go down that your heart is drawn to, or you often use this sort of dichotomy language, like there's two of you. That's because there are. There's a part of you that is drawn emotionally to certain things, and then there's a part of you that knows probably what's best, and sometimes you take that path as well. The Psalms teach us how to do that. Psalm 40 is one of my favorites, and it starts like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Let's say it together. Let's say the whole verse together. You ready? Let's say it out loud. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. One of the most egregious things I think about scripture is that we have the words of this song, but we don't have the notes. The notes make all the difference, don't they? I mean, when you hear a song that starts off in a minor key, there's a part of you that just feels a little subdued and sad. It's what a minor key does. 
There are certain chord progressions that give you a lift and make you feel hopeful and energetic. And what we don't have in the Psalms, nowhere in the Hebrew literature, I mean, there's some clues about what should happen with the music, but we don't know what most of those terms mean because they're Hebrew terms that don't translate well for us. And what we don't have in the Psalms are sheet music, the notes. And I wonder, when David wrote this, what he was thinking and feeling and what kind of notes he put to it. You know, David was a musician, played the harp. He probably played several other instruments as well. And David had this heart for God, and he was a Renaissance man. He was a leader. He was a king. Before he was a king, he was a sheep herder, and he was really, really good with a, a slingshot and a rock, tended to his animals, and played music. And he wrote poetry. And he wrote lyrics. Back in 1982, it was a long time ago, some of you were alive in 1982. Uh, I was joked earlier, Josh was minus six years old in 1982. <laughs> he didn't even exist yet. Back in 1982, there was a little, little known band that was up and coming. They were recording their third studio album in their homeland, uh, Ireland. And they were in the city of Dublin. And they had wrapped up recording for most of the, the, the new record and some of it was getting produced and mixed and all that sort of thing. But they only had nine songs and they needed 10, needed 10 to make it a full length record. And this is what they were going for. But they had the recording studio left for a couple more days. And so uh, the front man for the group, he grabbed his Bible and he opened it up. His name was Bono. And when he opened up the Bible, he turned to Psalm 40. And he began to craft a song around it. He will joke later in a large amphitheater filled with people that were there to see you too. That they wrote 40, the song that was on their album called War. When War came out, a lot of people didn't know who you two was, especially here in North America. He would joke that they wrote 40 in 10 minutes that they recorded it in 10 minutes and that they mixed it in 10 minutes. And there's some other 10 minutes in there, but he would later joke again that that's not why we named it 40. Just to remind people, we named it 40 because it comes from Psalm 40. And so he took lyrics that King David wrote a couple thousand years before and he put notes to them. We don't have David's notes, but we have U2's notes. All throughout the 80s and most of the 90s, they closed every concert with 40. Kind of different for a big band like that, a big rock amphitheater, you know, who would become what Rolling Stone would say, top five all-time live shows that you ought to go see. If you've never been, you, should, you need to go. I've never been. Josh has been twice, at least twice. He saw him two nights in a row up in Canada. I don't know if Canada's up north. I don't know if you know about Canada. Yeah. And so every show they would end it, not with a big blast and loud pyrotechnics and all that. They would strip it down, and he would start to sing 40. 
And so it's a powerful thing to ponder. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans over the years in amphitheaters and concert halls being led to sing the lyrics of a song that King David wrote when he was going through an incredibly difficult time in his life. Bono's connection to scripture is a deep one. The song had just come out. It was only uh, maybe a year old. From Germany to Colorado. And he stands in front of a crowd and they, they sing along with him. It's powerful. Uh, words are powerful. Lyrics are powerful. Notes are powerful. And the lyrics that we find in the Psalms, they teach us things. They teach us how to find our way forward. And so if you struggle occasionally with your feelings being in conflict with what you know, if you struggle at times not sure what to do with your anger, your anxiety, or any of the feelings that get you stuck, the Psalms can help you find your way. And I think it's incredible to just imagine and ponder uh, the thousands of people that over the years have listened to that refrain as a result of just showing up at a rock concert. Just a fun little bit of trivia for you. Gary Schmidt, who plays guitar this morning, he worked that concert at Red Rocks. Uh, he, he helped set up, and uh, if you saw that open view, you saw the, the pyres, the fires that were lit. Um, he helped set those up, and he was there one, the night before the concert opened at midnight while you two rehearsed, and he said they just kept playing, and he was there and present for it. One gentleman was in the first service, and he said, I remember when that concert happened. He grew up here in the Denver area. He said, I went to school the next day, and all, all my buddies had these U2 shirts, and I, I wondered, who in the world is U2? I don't know who that is. It wouldn't be long, would it? It wouldn't be long before he'd find out. Sometimes God is made famous from the most surprising of places. But Bono had added some notes to lyrics that King David wrote. And when King David wrote it, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. It's interesting. The word patient isn't in the Hebrew text. It really probably shouldn't even be in this text. Um, it's really not a great translation because patiently indicates how we wait. Let me ask you, how do you wait? How is it? What is it like for you when you wait? What does it look like? In the Hebrew text, it doesn't say patiently. I think we wait in all kinds of ways. I think we wait sometimes with our hands ringing, sometimes with emotions raging, sometimes with fear and anxiety taking front and center stage. Probably a better translation is Eugene Peterson's when he translated it in the message, but really a literal translation would be this. While I waited, I was waiting. Just this double down statement of waiting somehow involved me doing more waiting. That's what I was doing. And this is how you and I find ourselves in our current circumstances. My guess is, is that you're waiting for something something. I mean, it could be the next Amazon package. There was a period of the pandemic. I went, I think two solid months. I got something every day from Amazon, literally waiting for me. This was what, you know, gave me a little thrill through the doldrums of, you know, lockdown. And so there was a day where I did, I looked and nothing's on the way. 
And it was so disheartening. So I just had to order something that could be delivered next day so that I w- this wouldn't happen to me tomorrow because I wanted to be waiting for something to show up, to come through, to be there for me. Well, whatever it is that you're waiting for, whatever it is that you're experiencing right now, the psalm that we're looking at today, we'll just take a high overview look. The goal, of course, is for you to go home, open up your Bible or scroll to your scriptures on your phone and spend time with Psalm 40 or some other psalm. We want to show you the map. We kind of hold a map up and say, here's how you can find your way through. But you got to get in the car. You've got to drive. You got to do the gas and the brake and the whole deal. Because if you don't, you will have heard about a trip, but you will not have taken the trip. And there's no comparison to sitting and waiting while you're waiting, like David describes. But David gives us a little clue as to how he waited. We know at least one thing that he did. It's right here. It's right here in the psalm. The first thing we see is that he was, he was crying. He was crying. God heard his cry. And when we cry, we probably cry as differently as there are people in the room. Some of us bear down and buckle up and hold it in and nobody sees us. Maybe a tear escapes. Some of us scream as if grief has taken hold of some deep part of us. We all cry in different ways, but David is waiting, and while he's waiting, he's in grief, and his cries are heard. But he tells us, and it's really a whole summary of the psalm. He doesn't do this often. The very first verse gives us the whole story of the, of the song. He's waiting patiently. He's waiting for the Lord. That's different than just sitting around. And God turns to him when he hears the cry. Really, uh, the, the picture here in the Hebrew is that God would bend down to David and put his ear near David's head, and he hears him. He hears what he has to say. Now, what we've said from the beginning of this series, Honest to God, is that, well, you know, if we're going to walk with God, we might as well do so honestly. And if we're going to walk with God honestly, then we have to ask hard questions. And so the question that you ought to ask before we go any further is this, what does it look like when you are waiting for God? What is it that you do? I mean, we do have this impression that hands folded and politely waiting is maybe best, but I don't even think that's legitimate. I think it ought to be waiting that looks like the way David waited. Honest, real, brutal, true, anxious, sure. Crying, absolutely. What does it look like when you're waiting for God? You have conversations with him? You ignore him? You push him away? Do you keep him at an arm's length? Do you try to avoid him? Do you try to engage with him? What does it look like when you're waiting? You, regardless of what you're waiting for right now, regardless, there's a component in it because we have so little control over our lives that you are in fact waiting for God waiting for him to show up and do what only he can do, only when he can do it. And I don't know why, God has us wait a lot. Rarely early, never late. God delivers when he does, but don't we wish he would do it sooner every time?
It must be that he can do something while we're waiting in our hearts that he can't do at any other time. That's the only reason God would use a tool so often in my life and in your life. So as we go through these Psalms, we said at the beginning of the series that the Psalms teach us how to integrate what we know and what we feel. And this is unique about the Psalms because they're poetry, they're lyrics, but yet they're set to music. So they had this emotional component. Some of the paths that some of the Psalms take are, you know, really just like the, the poetry and some of the lyrics that are dear to your heart that aren't in Scripture. But because they had this emotional component, they also have this theological component as well. And they have both of these present because the Psalms, different than other lyrics that somebody might write, they're Scripture. And Scripture is true and it's useful to teach us and lead us and shape our hearts and our lives. And so different than anything else in Scripture, the lyrics, the poetry, the wisdom of the Psalms teach us how to integrate these two things. And it's important because often, as we said at the beginning, these are pretty different from each other. What I know I should do and what I feel I should do, often they take me in two very different directions, and I bet they do the same for you. Let me illustrate. Think about this question. See if you can ponder it just for a moment. Maybe think of a recent decision that you have made. When you make a decision, is it based on what you know or is it based on what you feel? You don't have to answer out loud. It's probably different for everybody in the room. Which is it for you? When you make a decision, think about your last decision. It could be what you had for breakfast or what kind of car you bought or maybe a career decision or a relationship thing, whatever it is. When you make a decision, is it based on what you know or based on what you feel? Odds are some of you in the room tip one way, some of you tip the other way. What is it for you? How many of you would say, and you struggle answering the question, because you would say, well, it all depends. How many of you would answer that way? It all depends. Okay, good bunch of you. More in the early service would say it all depends, which means they're an emotional crew, right? But if you say it's de it depends, it's because you know that, that there are things that are happening in your life that it might drive you to how you feel and other decisions you might approach more logically, binary kind of a way. Might depend on how hungry you are at the moment might depend on whether you're angry or anxious or fearful. It might depend on how much you know about a certain thing. But some of the decisions you make are based on one and some of them are based on the other, which means that how we make decisions can be fairly unpredictable. Depends on the moment. What David wants to do through the Psalms is not have these circles distant and far from each other, but have them completely overlap so that we are one integrated person. What we know and what we feel, well, they, they match up together. And when that happens, that is when God moves in and through us in some very unique and powerful ways. Psalm 40 helps us see that. And it's pretty clear. So we won't go through the whole psalm, but I'm going to give you an overview. Like I said, you get the map. You have to take the trip later, okay? And so when you read Psalm 40... There's all kinds of stuff in there about David's feels, what he's feeling. He's got all the feels. And when David has these feelings, he's going through a very hard time in his life. We have no idea what's going on. I think it probably has something to do with Saul, King Saul, chasing him and him feeling like he's against the ropes. We don't really know when he wrote it, but he uses these phrases and it describes where he was. I'm in a pit of despair and troubles surround me. My, my sins are many. 
no courage, I'm poor and I'm needy. And you could use the feeling words that you know and understand and attach them to every one of these statements. What does he feel? Well, he feels depressed. He's terribly depressed. I mean, I, pit of despair is probably the most picturesque description. In fact, this, this pit of despair, the, the Hebrew word implies a, a place that is sticky and mucky, but it's also loud and chaotic and just presses in on you. This sounds like despair to me. This sounds awful. It sounds like a terrible experience. And David feels like that's exactly where he is. So he's depressed. Troubles surround me. He sees troubles at every turn. In other words, his anxiety is off the charts. Fear is driving the center of his emotions, and he is overwhelmed. You can see shame in these statements. My sins are so many. I'm poor and needy. And again, fear shows up when he says, I have no courage. When did you last feel any of these ways? When did you find yourself identifying with David's feelings? Psalm 40 and all the Psalms give us this roadmap forward then. At a minimum, when I read Psalm 40, I think, oh, I'm not alone. David, who was a man after God's own heart, who, my goodness, accomplished leader, like I said, Renaissance man, artist, poetry writer, instrumentalist, musician, leader of leaders, even he could feel all of these things. So there are days when I feel some of these things or maybe all of them at certain times, and I feel like, well, I'm in good company. I'm not alone. That's worth something. How do you find your way from those feelings, though? And this is where the Psalms give us a guide or a map. So when I continue to read the whole Psalm, all 17 verses, there is a way out, and that way out helps us contrast how David feels with what David knows and when you read the lyrics, you can see that there is a very clear path between all of these things, the feelings that he has, but truth that David wants to declare. And it's truth not only that he declares, but he comes back to over and over again throughout the psalm. He says, you know, it's true, I'm in a pit of despair, and it's just not good, but God lifted me out. He's the one that pulled me out of this despair. And I know that there are all kinds of troubles around me, but it's God that rescues and saves me. He is the one who put my feet on solid ground and God will act on my behalf. And at the bottom line, we can all say together, at least David came to the conclusion that God can be trusted. And so how does David do that when he's feeling this way? The first thing he does is he says, this is what's true about me right now and my feelings. This is, I'm going to at least acknowledge it. I'm scared to death about what's going to happen. I have no idea what's around the corner. Understanding your feelings, and some of us aren't very good at that, is the first step to you making a move away from them. We believe that the opposite is true. Some of you grew up in families or churches, and you were taught that your feelings can't be trusted. And because your feelings can't be trusted, you should deny them box them up, shove them aside. You shouldn't give them much credence. If you let them have control over your life, who knows where you'll end up or what you'll end up doing, it won't be good, I can tell you that much. And this idea that your feelings can't be trusted, David would say, that's absolutely true. Your feelings can't be trusted. But if you ignore them, 
If you do what some of us have done throughout history, throughout your life, taken your feelings and just decided I'm going to shove them aside or pretend like they're not there, deny them, they come up somewhere else. For me, it's usually with food, right? I'm going to eat my feelings. We've talked about that. And so when we do that, all we do is give our feelings more power than they actually need to have. What David says is, you know how I feel? I am in despair. And David's step in naming it, describing it, and even putting lyrics to it in a song that we would read thousands of years later is his first step away from it. But if you don't do that, how can you even begin, right? Open up your GPS, your maps on your phone. The first thing it's going to check is where are you right now? If you want me to tell you how to get where you want to go, we have to start with what? Where you are right now. Where is David right now? He's in a pit of despair. And he's named it. And there's nothing fearful about that. It doesn't give the feeling more power. It doesn't give the feeling control over you. It doesn't mean that you are your feelings. It just means that's what's going on right now. And so, can feelings be trusted? No, for what? No, no, only God is trusted. But if we name them as David did, which he teaches us how to do in the Psalms over and over and over again. So when you read Psalm 40 and you say, boy, I, I don't know, but that looks like last Thursday to me, then you're on a good path. You started somewhere. And then what does he do? He doesn't replace his feelings with the truth, but he names the truth in light of his feelings. In other words, sure, I'm in a pit of despair, and that's how it feels right now, but I, I can tell you that God lifted me out. And so he names this truth, and he puts words to it as well, and then he moves on and says, not only did he lift me out, he rescues me. He's the one that saves me. And David can think back in his life, and what do you think occurs to David's memory as he begins naming these things that are true about God? Why, he remembers the day that he was out watching his sheep and he heard a bear come over the crest of the hill. He ended up in a, you know, mano-a-mano battle and came out on top. And then recognized it's God that gave him the ability to do that. That God will act on his behalf. And of course, really the biggest is that last bullet, that God can be trusted now, sometimes we end up in a place with our feelings, just like David did, and maybe all you need is a few moments, quietness, all alone, by yourself, with the truth of Scripture, saying what needs to be said, and you can find yourself moving from here to here, and you get up, dust yourself off, go on about your day, and it's a good thing. And you can take that truth with you into the world. Sometimes you find yourself in a pit that's a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger, maybe a little stickier, maybe the clay is just a little bit, you know, thicker at the bottom of that pit. And you need more than one trip to what is true that David says, this is what I know is true. And you see this happen in the psalm over and over again. David doesn't list all of these things that are true and then just end up here camping out. He goes back and forth. Do you do that? Of course you do. Why? 
Oh, because we're forgetful, because we need to be reminded, because this path has got to get well-worn if you're going to deal with your feelings, because feelings show up on any given day and you're not sure what to do with them. Because things happen and you didn't see that coming and you were unprepared for that and now you have to figure this part out. And so we go back and forth and back and forth. Sometimes it takes layers and layers and layers. Sometimes it takes a trusted conversation with somebody else that can speak truth and wisdom into your life so that they can show you where this path even is. So you find yourself with a good friend or a trusted therapist like many in our church that are able to guide you down this path and help you find this destination again, put a few markers in that place so that when you're alone in your house or in the middle of a conversation that you don't want to be in, you can find this path again and again and again. So what Psalm 40 does is it takes what we feel and it takes what is true, what we know, and it puts them together. And what the map of the psalm does The map of the psalm teaches us that this move can take place. What's the move? The move is from where I am toward the truth of who God is. And when this move takes place, then the song has done its job, hasn't it? It's led us down a different path. And let's be honest, you don't want to stay in a pit of despair, do you? I mean, most days you don't. Occasionally you do set up a little camp and just kind of hang out there a bit and just kind of dig your despair. But eventually, even those of us that like a little self-pity and a pity party and a little bit of despair in a day, eventually we want out of it because it's not a productive place. It's not what you were made for. It's not what you were designed for. And so we want to move away from these feelings to a different place. And that different place is a place where God acts on our behalf, where God can be trusted, where we give to God everything that is us And we allow him to work through us in unique and powerful ways. That's what Psalm 40 is about. And so many of the Psalms. To move us to a new place where we're giving, we're loving. Where we are able to speak into the lives of people and help them make the same path that we just went down. In fact, it's better said this way. Here's the statement I'd want you to keep and and remember. That when we follow Psalm 40, we got this map in front of us and we see David's emotions and feelings and we feel them too. But he ends up in a different place by the end of the song and this is the place where he ends up. We're integrating what we know and what we feel and when we do that, we move what? What's the word? We move redemptively into the lives of people. In other words, we move in ways that help other people understand who they are, who God is, why you're here, why you would love, why you would forgive, how you can use what God has given you to do good things and change the world and actually make this place exactly what God intended. That's what you want. Come on, you want to be in a conversation with somebody and see the need in their life and be able to speak God's truth into it. You you know God loves you, don't you? Maybe you just said that to somebody. You know he's forgiven you. If you hear somebody speaking words that are shameful and where they're in their own pit of despair, maybe the only thing that they need is for somebody to come alongside them and say, that's not who you are. I know you did those things, but God's love for you is more than enough. And what you did just then is you moved redemptively in somebody's life 
and they can't believe that you saw them the way you did and that you showed them the love that is available to them. That's what God wants. You, you know how this works, right? When you're here, when you're stuck in this little place of feelings, what, who's your attention on? You. That's right. You. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's a little selfish, right? I mean, you got to be in a spot occasionally to be paying attention to your heart and dealing with your feelings. When you're over here and you know that you've been lifted out of the pit and that God can be trusted and that he has put your feet on solid ground, what does that make you want to do? What you want to do is move redemptively so that people who are here make that same path that you went down, that same journey. It's what God created you to do. It's why you're in the job you're in. I know, I know. You make widgets and do the thing and you kill it and you sell more than anybody else. And that's really, really good. And you get to eat and live in your house and all that good stuff. But that's not why God put you in the spot you're in. God put you in the spot you're in so that you could move redemptively. I know your family's messed up. And no, if you knew my family, my goodness, what a bunch of crazies. And God put you in that family so that you could move redemptively. God put you in your neighborhood so that you could move redemptively. You can't do that when you're in a pit of despair. Ah, you're going to be there some. That's okay, me too. But God has lifted you out. He has rescued and saved you. He has put your feet on solid ground. He will absolutely act on your behalf. And regardless of what you're waiting for or what you're hoping for, God can be trusted with your life and the lives of everyone that you love. You too was, was born in Ireland. You know what Ireland was like in the 80s, what they had come through, and a lot of things haven't changed much in Ireland. But they had to ask this question as a, an entertaining group of rockers, are we going to speak out politically about what we feel like is happening? And so when they put out this third album. The title of the album is War. That's the name of the album. The first track is Sunday Bloody Sunday. Political action was center in who they were. But they ended it with the album, this last track, 40. And 40 declares that they will wait patiently. So the only lyric that they added to the song that isn't written by King David was the phrase, how long must we sing this song? It's a great question, isn't it? How long? How long do we have to wait? Some of you have counted on God to answer a prayer in your family or your work or your neighborhood that God has asked you to answer. He's wanted you to move redemptively. How long? Well, I don't know. How long are you going to wait? before you offer forgiveness or grace or kindness to somebody that's left out at school? How long will you wait before you forgive and quit holding a grudge? And how long will you wait before you decide to take a stand about things that are right? How long? It's a great question. I believe that Bono added that line because of the unrest in his homeland. He saw it all over the world. How long will we wait? When we integrate what we know and feel, God will lead us down this path. So Lord, we come and we pray right now and we ask that you would help us to use the map of Psalm 40 
and these lyrics written by King David long ago, notes put together by these contemporary artists that use ancient words to remind us of an eternal truth. Lord, that we would move redemptively. Help us to follow this path, this map. And as we sing these words together, may you form in our hearts the desire to move in redemptive ways wherever we are. Patiently for the Lord, He inclined and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. I will sing, sing a new song. steps firm many will see many will see and hear and I will sing sing a new song I will sing sing a new song to the Lord and how in prayer today. Lord, we just, we love you in this place. We thank you that you put our feet on a rock and you made our footstep firm. You brought us up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.